0: Chapter One of Peveril of the Peak by Sir Walter Scott. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Reading by Dion Jines, Salt Lake City, Utah. Chapter One. When civil dudgeon first grew high and men fell out they knew not why when foul words jealousies and fears set folk together by the ears butler william the conqueror of england was or supposed himself to be the father of a certain william peveril who attended him to the battle of hastings and there distinguished himself the liberal-minded monarch who assumed in his charters the veritable title of julimus Bastardus was not likely to let his son's illegitimacy be any bar to the course of his royal favor when the laws of england were issued from the mouth of the norman victor and the lands of the saxons were at his unlimited disposal william obtained a liberal grant of property and lordships in derbyshire and became the erector of that gothic fortress which hanging over the mouth of the devil's cavern so well known to tourists, gives the name of castleton to the adjacent village from this feudal baron who chose his nest upon the principles on which an eagle selects her eyrie and built it in such a fashion as if he had intended it as an irishman said of the martello towers for the sole purpose of puzzling posterity there was or conceived themselves to be descended for their pedigree was rather hypothetical an opulent family of knightly rank in the same county of derby the great fief of castleton with its adjacent wastes and forests and all the wonders which they contain had been forfeited in king john's stormy days by one william and had been granted anew to the lord-ferrers of that day yet this william's descendants though no longer possessed of what they alleged to have been their original property were long distinguished by the proud title of peverils of the peak which served to mark their high descent and lofty pretensions in charles the second's time the representative of this ancient family was sir jeffrey a man who had many of the ordinary attributes of an old-fashioned country gentleman and very few individual traits to distinguish him from the general portrait of that worthy class of mankind he was proud of small advantages angry at small disappointments incapable of forming any resolution or opinion abstracted from his own prejudices he was proud of his birth lavish in his housekeeping convivial with those kindred and acquaintances who would allow his superiority in rank contentious and quarrelsome with all that crossed his pretensions kind to the poor except when they plundered his game a royalist in his political opinions and one who detested alike a roundhead a poacher and a presbyterian in religion sir jeffrey was a high churchman of so exalted a strain that many thought he still nourished in private the roman catholic tenets which his family had only renounced in his father's time and that he had a dispensation for conforming in outward observances to the protestant faith there was at least such a scandal amongst the puritans and the influence which sir geoffrey peveril certainly appeared to possess amongst the catholic gentlemen of derbyshire and cheshire seemed to give countenance to the rumour such was sir geoffrey who might have passed to his grave without further distinction than a brass plate in the chancel had he not lived in times which forced the most inactive spirits into exertion as a tempest influences the sluggish waters of the deadest mere when the civil wars broke out peveril of the peak proud from pedigree and brave by constitution raised a regiment for the king and showed upon several occasions more capacity for command than men had heretofore given him credit for even in the midst of the civic turmoil he fell in love with and married a beautiful and amiable young lady of the noble house of stanley and from that time had the more merit in his loyalty as it divorced him from her society unless at very brief intervals when his duty permitted an occasional visit to his home scorning to be allured from his military duty by domestic inducements peveril of the peak fought on for several rough years of civil war and performed his part with sufficient gallantry until his regiment was surprised and cut to pieces by points cromwell's enterprising and successful general of cavalry the defeated cavalier escaped from the field of battle and like a true descendant of william the conqueror disdaining submission threw himself into his own castellated mansion which was attacked and defended in a siege of that irregular kind which caused the destruction of so many baronial residences during the course of those unhappy wars martindale castle after having suffered severely from the cannon which cromwell himself brought against it was at length surrendered when in the last extremity sir geoffrey himself became a prisoner and while his liberty was only restored upon a promise of remaining a peaceful subject to the commonwealth in future his former delinquencies as they were termed by the ruling party were severely punished by fine and sequestration but neither his forced promise nor the fear of farther unpleasant consequences to his person or property could prevent peveril of the peak from joining the gallant earl of derby the night before the fatal engagement in wigan lane where the earl's forces were dispersed sir Geoffrey having had his share in that action escaped with the relics of the royalists after the defeat to join charles the second he witnessed also the final defeat of worcestershire where he was a second time made prisoner and as in the opinion of cromwell and the language of the times he was regarded as an obstinate malignant he was in great danger of having shared with the earl of derby his execution at bolton le Moor, having partaken with him the dangers of two actions but sir jeffrey's life was preserved by the interest of a friend who possessed influence in the counsels of oliver this was a mr bridgenorth a gentleman of middling quality whose father had been successful in some commercial adventure during the peaceful reign of james i and who had bequeathed his son a considerable sum of money in addition to the moderate patrimony which he inherited from his father the substantial though small-sized brick building of multrossy hall was but two miles distant from martindale castle and the young bridgenorth attended the same school with the air of the peverils a sort of companionship if not intimacy took place betwixt them, which continued during their youthful sports, the rather that Bridgenorth, though he did not at heart admit Sir Geoffrey's claims of superiority, to the extent which the other's vanity would have exacted, paid deference in a reasonable degree to the representative of a family so much more ancient and important than his own, without conceiving that he in any respect degraded himself by doing so mr bridgenorth did not however carry his complaisance so far as to embrace sir jeffrey's side during this civil war on the contrary as an active justice of the peace he rendered much assistance in arraying the militia in the cause of the parliament and for some time held a military commission in that service this was partly owing to his religious principles for he was a zealous presbyterian partly to his political ideas which without being absolutely democratical favoured the popular side of the great national question besides he was a moneyed man and to a certain extent had a shrewd eye to his worldly interest he understood how to improve the opportunities which civil war afforded of advancing his fortune by a dexterous use of his capital and he was not at a loss to perceive that these were likely to be obtained in joining the parliament while the king's cause as it was managed held out nothing to the wealthy but a course of exaction and compulsory loans for these reasons bridgenorth became a decided roundhead and all friendly communication betwixt his neighbour and him was abruptly broken asunder this was done with the less acrimony that during the civil war sir geoffrey was almost constantly in the field following the vacillating and unhappy fortunes of his master while major bridgenorth who soon renounced active military service resided chiefly in london and only occasionally visited the hall upon these visits it was with great pleasure he received the intelligence that lady peveril had shown much kindness to mrs bridgenorth and had actually given her and her family shelter in martindale castle when moltrossy hall was threatened with pillage by a body of prince rupert's ill-disciplined cavaliers this acquaintance had been matured by frequent walks together which the vicinity of their places of residence suffered the lady peveril to have with mrs bridgenorth who deemed herself much honoured in being thus admitted into the society of so distinguished a lady major bridgenorth heard of this growing intimacy with great pleasure and he determined to repay the obligation as far as he could without much hurt to himself by interfering with all his influence in behalf of her unfortunate husband it was chiefly owing to major bridgenorth's mediation that sir Geoffrey's life was saved after the battle of worcester he obtained him permission to compound for his estate on easier terms than many who had been less obstinate in malignancy and finally when in order to raise the money to the composition the knight was obliged to sell a considerable portion of his patrimony major bridgenorth became the purchaser and that at a larger price than had been paid to any cavalier under such circumstances by a member of the committee for sequestrations. It is true the prudent committee man did not by any means lose sight of his own interest in the transaction, for the price was after all very moderate, and the property lay adjacent to Moltresi Hall, the value of which was at least trebled by the acquisition but then it was also true that the unfortunate owner must have submitted to much worse conditions had the committee-man used as others did the full advantages which his situation gave him and bridgenorth took credit to himself and received it from others for having on this occasion fairly sacrificed his interest to his liberality sir geoffrey peveril was of the same opinion and the rather that mr bridgenorth seemed to bear his exultation with great moderation and was disposed to show him personally the same deference in his present sunshine of prosperity which he had exhibited formerly in their early acquaintance it is but justice to major bridgenorth to observe that in this conduct he paid respect as much to the misfortunes as to the pretensions of his far descended neighbor and that with the frank generosity of a blunt englishman he conceded points of ceremony about which he himself was indifferent merely because he saw that his doing so gave pleasure to sir Geoffrey. peveril of the peak did justice to his neighbor's delicacy in consideration of which he forgot many things he forgot that major bridgenorth was already in possession of a fair third of his estate and had various pecuniary claims affecting the remainder to the extent of one-third more he endeavoured even to forget what it was still more difficult not to remember the altered situation in which they and their mansions now stood to each other before the civil war the superb battlements and turrets of martindale castle looked down on the red brick built hull as it stole out from the green plantations just as an oak in martindale chase would have looked beside one of the stunted and formal young beech-trees with which bridgenorth had graced his avenue but after the siege which we have commemorated the enlarged and augmented hall was as much predominant in the landscape over the shattered and blackened ruins of the castle of which only one wing was left habitable as the youthful beech in all its vigor of shoot and bud would appear to the same aged oak stripped of its boughs and rifted by lightning one half laid in shivers on the ground and the other remaining a blackened and ungraceful trunk rent and splintered and without either life or leaves sir geoffrey could not but feel that the situation and prospects were exchanged as disadvantageously for himself as the appearance of their mansions and that though the authority of the man in office under the parliament the sequestrator and the committee-man had been only exerted for the protection of the cavalier and the malignant they would have been as effectual if applied to procure his utter ruin and that he was become a client while his neighbour was elevated into a patron there were two considerations besides the necessity of the case and the constant advice of his lady which enabled peveril of the peak to endure with some patience this state of degradation the first was that the politics of major bridgenorth began on many points to assimilate themselves to his own as a presbyterian he was not an utter enemy to monarchy and had been considerably shocked at the unexpected trial and execution of the king as a civilian and a man of property he feared the domination of the military and though he wished not to see charles restored by force of arms yet he arrived at the conclusion that to bring back the heir of the royal family on such terms of composition as might ensure the protection of those popular immunities and privileges for which the long parliament had at first contended would be the surest and most desirable termination to the mutations in state affairs which had agitated britain indeed the major's ideas on this point approached so nearly those of his neighbour that he had well-nigh suffered sir geoffrey who had a finger in almost all the conspiracies of the royalists to involve him in the unfortunate rising of penruddock and groves in the west in which many of the presbyterian interest as well as the cavalier party were engaged and though his habitual prudence eventually kept him out of this and other dangers major bridgenorth was considered during the last years of cromwell's domination and the interregnum which succeeded as a disaffected person to the commonwealth and a favourer of charles stuart but besides this approximation to the same political opinions another bond of intimacy united the families of the castle and the hall major bridgenorth fortunately and eminently so in all his worldly transactions was visited by severe and reiterated misfortunes in his family and became in this particular an object of compassion to his poorer and more decayed neighbor betwixt the breaking out of the civil war and the restoration he lost successively a family of no less than six children apparently through a delicacy of constitution which cut off the little prattlers at the early age when they most wind themselves round the heart of the parents in the beginning of the year sixteen fifty eight major bridgenorth was childless ere it ended he had a daughter indeed but her birth was purchased by the death of an affectionate wife whose constitution had been exhausted by maternal grief and by the anxious and harrowing reflection that from her the children they had lost derived that delicacy of health which proved unable to undergo the tear and wear of existence the same voice which told bridgenorth that he was the father of a living child it was the friendly voice of lady peveril communicated to him the melancholy intelligence that he was no longer a husband the feelings of major bridgenorth were strong and deep rather than hasty and vehement and his grief assumed the form of a sullen stupor from which neither the friendly remonstrances of sir jeffrey who did not fail to be with his neighbour at this distressing conjuncture even though he knew he must meet the presbyterian pastor nor the ghastly exhortations of this latter person were able to rouse the unfortunate widower at length lady peveril with the ready invention of a female sharp by the sight of distress and the feelings of sympathy tried on the sufferer one of those experiments by which grief is often awakened from despondency into tears she placed in Bridge North's arms the infant whose birth had caused him so dear and conjured him to remember that his alice was not yet dead since she survived in the helpless child she had left to his paternal care take her away take her away said the unhappy man and they were the first words he had spoken let me not look on her it is but another blossom that has bloomed to fade and the tree that bore it will never flourish more he almost threw the child into lady peveril's arms placed his hands before his face and wept aloud lady peveril did not say be comforted but she ventured to promise that the blossom should ripen to fruit never never said bridgenorth take the unhappy child away and let me only know when i shall wear black for her wear black he exclaimed interrupting himself what other color shall i wear during the remainder of my life i will take the child for a season said lady peveril since the sight of her is so painful to you and the little alice shall share the nursery of our julian until it shall be pleasure and not pain for you to look on her that hour will never come said the unhappy father her doom is written she will follow the rest god's will be done lady i thank you i trust her to your care and i thank god that my eye shall not see her dying agonies without detaining the reader's attention longer on this painful theme it is enough to say that the lady peveril did undertake the duties of a mother to the little orphan and perhaps it was owing in a great measure to her judicious treatment of the infant that its feeble hold of life was preserved since the glimmering spark might probably have been altogether smothered had it like the major's former children undergone the over-care and over-nursing of a mother rendered nervously cautious and anxious by so many successive losses the lady was the more ready to undertake this charge that she herself had lost two infant children, and that she attributed the preservation of the third, now a fine healthy child of three years old, to Julian's being subjected to rather a different course of diet and treatment than was then generally practiced. She resolved to follow the same regimen with the little orphan, which she had observed in the case of her own boy, and it was equally successful. By a more sparing use of medicine, by a bolder admission of fresh air, by a firm yet cautious attention to encourage, rather than to supersede the exertions of nature, the puny infant, under the care of an excellent nurse, gradually improved in strength and in liveliness sir Geoffrey, like most men of his frank and good-natured disposition was naturally fond of children and so much compassionated the sorrows of his neighbour that he entirely forgot his being a presbyterian until it became necessary that the infant should be christened by a teacher of that persuasion this was a trying case the father seemed incapable of giving direction and that the threshold of martindale castle should be violated by the heretical step of a dissenting clergyman was a matter of horror to its orthodox owner he had seen the famous hugh peters with a bible in one hand and a pistol in the other ride in triumph through the court door when martindale was surrendered and the bitterness of that hour had entered like iron into his soul yet such was lady peveril's influence over the prejudices of her husband that he was induced to connive at the ceremony taking place in a remote garden-house which was not properly within the precincts of the castle wall the lady even dared to be present while the ceremony was performed by the reverend master Soulsgrace, who had once preached a sermon of three hours length before the house of commons upon a thanksgiving occasion after the relief of exeter sir Geoffrey peveril took care to be absent the whole day from the castle and it was only from the great interest which he took in the washing perfuming and as it were purification of the summer-house that it could have been guessed he knew anything of what had taken place in it but whatever prejudices the good knight might entertain against his neighbor's form of religion they did not in any way influence his feelings towards him as a sufferer under severe affliction the mode in which he showed his sympathy was rather singular but exactly suited the character of both and the terms on which they stood with each other morning after morning the good baronet made multrossi hall the termination of his walk or ride and said a single word of kindness as he passed sometimes he entered the old parlour where the proprietor sat in solitary wretchedness and despondency but more frequently for sir Geoffrey did not pretend to great talents of conversation he paused on the terrace and stopping or halting his horse by the latticed window said aloud to the melancholy inmate how is it with you master bridgenorth the knight would never acknowledge his neighbour's military rank of major i just looked in to bid you keep a good heart man and to tell you that julian is well and little alice is well and all are well at martindale castle a deep sigh sometimes coupled with i thank you sir Geoffrey, my grateful duty waits on lady peveril was generally Bridge North's only answer but the news was received on the one part with the kindness which was designed upon the other it gradually became less painful and more interesting the lattice window was never closed nor was the leathern easy-chair which stood next to it ever empty when the usual hour of the baronet's momentary visit approached at length the expectation of that passing minute became the pivot upon which the thoughts of poor bridgenorth turned during all the rest of the day most men have known the influence of such brief but ruling moments at some period of their lives the moment when a lover passes the window of his mistress the moment when the epicure hears the dinner-bell is that into which is crowded the whole interest of the day the hours which precede it are spent in anticipation the hours which follow in reflection on what has passed and fancy dwelling on each brief circumstance gives to seconds the duration of minutes to minutes that of hours thus seated in his lonely chair bridgenorth could catch at a distance the stately step of sir Geoffrey, or the heavy tramp of his war-horse black hastings which had borne him in many an action he could hear the hum of the king shall enjoy his own again or the habitual whistle of cuckolds and roundheads die unto reverential silence as the night approached the mansion of affliction and then came the strong Hale voice of the huntsman soldier with its usual greeting. By degrees the communication became something more protracted, as Major Bridge North's grief, like all human feelings, lost its overwhelming violence and permitted him to attend in some degree to what passed around him to discharge various duties which pressed upon him and to give a share of attention to the situation of the country distracted as it was by the contending factions whose strife only terminated in the restoration still however though slowly recovering from the effects of the shock which he had sustained major bridgenorth felt himself as yet unable to make up his mind to the effort necessary to see his infant and though separated by so short a distance from the being in whose existence he was more interested than anything the world afforded he only made himself acquainted with the windows of the apartment where little alice was lodged and was often observed to watch them from the terrace as they brightened in the evening under the influence of the setting sun in truth though a strong-minded man in most respects he was unable to lay aside the gloomy impression that this remaining pledge of affection was soon to be conveyed to that grave which had already devoured all besides that was dear to him and he awaited in miserable suspense the moment when he should hear that symptoms of the fatal malady had begun to show themselves the voice of peveril continued to be that of a comforter until the month of april sixteen sixty when it suddenly assumed a new and different tone the king shall enjoy his own again far from ceasing as the hasty tread of black hastings came up the avenue bore burden to the clatter of his hoofs on the paved courtyard as sir Geoffrey sprang from his great war-saddle now once more garnished with pistols of two feet in length and armed with steel cap Back and breast with a truncheon in his hand, he rushed into the apartment of the astonished major with his eyes sparkling and his cheek inflamed, while he called out, Up, up, neighbour! No time now to mope in the chimney-corner. Where is your buff-coat and broadsword, man? Take the true side once in your life, and mend past mistakes the king is all lenity man all royal nature and mercy i will get your full pardon what means all this said bridgenorth is all well with you all well at martindale castle sir geoffrey well as you could wish them alice and julian and all but i have news worth twenty of that monk has declared at london against those stinking scoundrels the rump fairfax is up in yorkshire for the king for the king man churchmen presbyterians and all are in buff and bandolier for king charles i have a letter from fairfax to secure derby and chesterfield with all the men i can make damn him find that i should take orders from him but never mind that all are friends now and you and i good neighbor will charge abreast as good neighbors should see there read 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 and then boot and saddle in an instant hey for cavaliers ho for cavaliers pray for cavaliers dub-a-dub dub-a-dub have at old beezlebub oliver shakes in his beer after thundering forth this elegant effusion of loyal enthusiasm the sturdy cavalier's heart became too full he threw himself on a seat and exclaiming did ever i think to live to see this happy day he wept to his own surprise as much as to that of bridgenorth upon considering the crisis in which the country was placed it appeared to major bridgenorth as it had done to fairfax and other leaders of the presbyterian party that their frank embracing of the royal interest was the wisest and most patriotic measure which they could adopt in the circumstances when all ranks and classes of men were seeking refuge from the uncertainty and varied oppression attending the repeated contests between the factions of westminster hall and of wallingford house accordingly he joined with sir Geoffrey with less enthusiasm indeed but with equal sincerity taking such measures as seemed proper to secure their part of the country on the king's behalf which was done as effectually and peaceably as in other parts of england the neighbours were both at chesterfield when news arrived that the king had landed in england and sir geoffrey instantly announced his purpose of waiting upon his majesty even before his return to the castle of martindale who knows neighbour he said whether sir geoffrey peveril will ever return to martindale titles must be going amongst them yonder and i have deserved something among the rest lord peveril would sound well or stay earl of martindale no not of martindale earl of the peak meanwhile trust your affairs to me i will see you secured i would you had been no presbyterian neighbour a knighthood i mean a knight bachelor not a knight baronet would have served your turn well i leave these things to my betters sir Geoffrey, said the major and desire nothing so earnestly as to find all well at martindale when i return you will you will find them all well said the baronet julian alice lady peveril and all of them Bear my commendations to them, and kiss them all, neighbour, Lady Peveril, and all. You may kiss a countess when I come back. All will go well with you, now you are turned honest man. "'I always meant to be so, Sir Geoffrey,' said Bridgenorth calmly. "'Well, well, well, no offence meant,' said the knight. "'All is well now, so you to Moltresi Hall, and I to Whitehall.' said i well aha so ho mine host a stoop of canary to the king's health ere we get to horse i forgot neighbour you drink no healths i wish the king's health as sincerely as if i drank a gallon to it replied the major and i wish you sir Geoffrey, all success on your journey and a safe return End of chapter one